Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of Revolution Recap. The Rebs are on to the Eastern Conference Finals after a well-deserved 3-1 win over Orlando City. Carles Hill drew first blood, converting a penalty kick after Taeyeon Buchanan drew a foul in the box. And then Gustavo Bo had a pair of goals to lead the Rebs into the next round. In between, there was a red card, Matt Turner saving a penalty kick, and a lot of tears from Nani. I'm Greg Johnstone. Joining me today, as usual, is Sean Donahue. Sean, how's it going? Man, who would have thought we'd be still talking about the Revolution in the playoffs come almost December now? What a uh, exciting victory for the Revolution. I think it wasn't as clean of a win as they got against Philadelphia, and there were you know, certainly some areas for improvement, and Bruce Arena talked about that after the game. Um, but huge to see the Revolution after what was a very up-and-down season for them on their way to the Eastern Conference Final. Yeah, and I think my key takeaway less than a month ago, I think it was after the Philadelphia game, uh, was this is not a good team. And uh, I certainly am changing my tune a little bit here. Um, After that Montreal win, it certainly was dramatic, but I still wasn't totally sold on this team, uh, you know, needing needing a last-minute goal against the Impact, who are very shorthanded in that game. Philadelphia Union, obviously, you know, a very well-deserved result. Um, But again, you know, single elimination, you know, I think there still is a little bit of doubt in your mind that maybe that is just a team you're very familiar with, you know how to play. Um, And then they came out against Orlando City today. I thought that they were the better team by far today. The only time Orlando scored was on a real, really a mess up um, on on the Revolution's part. There were certainly a lot of mistakes today, but I thought New England was a much better team going, you know, on the road down south, playing in the heat, playing against a crowd. Um, overall, a, a really good result overall. And I think, you know, if you have not been sold on this team, you are now. So, yeah, a, a bit of a great month for the Revolution there you know, on the right track and they're going to the Eastern conference final. So Sean, uh, what was your key takeaway from today's game against Orlando? Yeah. I mean, we talked about Bruce arena finding the right lineup last week. And part of that was Tejan Buchanan at right back. And I think we got the question on you know, whether that would be his long-term position. Um, and, and I said back then that I thought it would be his long-term position or his position for the playoffs for this playoffs. And it should be for the playoffs, but that I expect him to go back to midfield. Now I'm starting to, to second guess that one. And uh, arena was actually asked about it in midweek um, and said that it's possible that Tejan Buchanan could continue to play at right back when the team is at full health, um, which I think, you know, implies going into next season. And certainly today, Brandon by was, was back on the bench and available and played, but you know, what can you say about Tejan Buchanan that we didn't say last week? Uh, but he goes into this game and, again, plays an absolutely massive role. It was a fantastic uh, job by him in the box and, and kind of tight space to dribble around two guys and then get fouled to earn that penalty kick that put the Revolution in the lead. Um, and then he played a key role in the, the second goal of the game for the Revolution where he dribbled down the right flank. Uh, actually, won the ball in a tackle, played it to Carles Heel, and then got it back from Heel, and then put in a good cross that Busa uh, was unlucky to hit the post with. And then... Uh, Gustavo Bo finished that off, but you know Buchanan deserved an assist on that one. You don't get one when when it plays out like that. But just a fantastic performance from Buchanan and um, and setting up two of those goals. And I thought defensively he was he was pretty solid as well. So um, you know I'm I'm starting to think that this is you know he's the Revolution's best option at right back, um, and that he will continue to be so next year. Um, they have a lot of great offensive pieces, um, and you know I think the fullback spots. Well, you know Brandon Bay has been good at times. Uh, well, Dewan Jones when he was at right back and Alexander Boone was at left back. That worked pretty well. Buchanan just offers another dimension offensively that none of those guys 
add. And if you can put him back there and be solid defensively with him there, uh, what you get out of him offensively is, you know, a lot, as we saw in this game. So I think Tejan Buchanan now, there's the potential that he actually develops into a right back for the Revolution full time. Um, because he's just been that good for them. And you know, the, the way things are working out right now, I don't know how you ever change it. Yeah, and part of me is, you know, when, when he started right back, part of me was a little bit hesitant because we had not seen Tayon at right back so far. And and throughout this playoffs, too, you, you'll notice Carly's heel coming back and really helping Tayon. Today they were double-teaming Nani a lot. Um, it seems like he still needs a little bit of assistance so to speak, uh, in helping defend. But overall, I think the tools are there for Tayon Buchanan to become a right back. I don't see there being anything that Tayon Buchanan, or sorry, that Brandon Bay does that Tayon Buchanan can't do. Tayon Buchanan is, you know, he, he can take the ball from you. He can tackle. Um, I, I think the instincts might need to develop a little bit. Um, how he reads the game might need to develop a little bit. But he's certainly dangerous in the attack. He certainly pairs up and links up with Gustavo Bo and Carlos Hill on that right flank very, very well. Uh, and he certainly has a lot of great instincts coming up. Uh, and when you give him space, he, he just causes a lot of havoc. He knows when to make the runs and, as I say, play off of Carlos Hill. So he, he, he might be the right back over Brandon Bay to start next season, which is, is a bit of tough luck for Brandon Bay because I don't think he's necessarily done anything to lose the spot. I think he's played pretty well defensively. But he's lacked that ability to go up uh, and to send in some crosses and to be dangerous uh, in the ways that we're seeing Tayon Buchanan. So I, I think Tayon Buchanan has found his spot at right back. Um, and that kind of links up to what my key takeaway is, too, uh, which is that Bruce Arena has found his lineup at the perfect time. You know, he didn't have a single lineup that was the same rolling over into the next game. There were a lot of injuries this season. Um, I think with this Tayon Buchanan playing at right back with Carly Seal fully healthy, with Gustavo Bo fully healthy, um, I think this starting 11 and, and the, the pairing of Folster and Caldwell, you know, Caldwell – as I say, he's not a flawless player. I think I'd rather have Luis Caicedo out there than Scott Caldwell. But he's played pretty well over the past couple of games. There are certain plays that you'll notice, you know, he's a little bit behind. Um, and, and we talked about that last week a little bit where he doesn't have that natural speed. But overall, this lineup is really gelling right now. And, you know, if the Revs score first and a team, you know, the opponent has to push up the field, the Revs can counterattack at any point in the game. There's no the, the Revs didn't have a whole ton of possession today, and they didn't need a whole ton of possession because if you just get these guys out on the, the fast break, they have so much speed and they have so many people that can score. Uh, I mean, they can increase the lead easily you know, by multiple goals, which we've seen in the last two games. So um, I, I think Bruce has done a wonderful job developing this lineup. And, you know, he cut it a little bit close, but it came together all at the right time. Yeah, and I completely agree. And honestly, the the bigger worry for me between Caldwell and Polster this game was Polster and that sloppy penalty kick he gave away. But Scott Caldwell really showed what he's on the field for, in particular on that play. Um, I, I'm forgetting exactly when it happened, but when Buchanan was pushed forward and DK ended up one on one against Andrew Farrell, um, and Farrell I think I think it was an Orlando side of the field, and, and Scott Caldwell ran all the way back. DK got the better of Farrell, got around him, um, and it looked like there, there was going to be a foot race, and, and Caldwell got all the way back there. Um, for as as slow as FIFA says Caldwell is, he showed some wheels there to to, to get to that ball before DK and and, and get rid of it. Um, and that's just the type of play that Caldwell's capable of. He knows where he needs to be, um, and you know he was even if he's not the fastest guy in the field, he's capable of covering a lot of ground. Um, he's just been huge for the Revolution these these past two games, and you know he's been a a great player for the team. Um, on the other on the other hand, I thought Pulsar had a pretty good game up until that you know sloppy penalty kick giveaway. But it kind of brings me back to 
you know, one of the negatives from this game. And that's that when the revolution went up a man, they had a really, really difficult time maintaining possession. Um, you know, if you look at the statistics from, from MLS soccer, um, the, the last 20 minutes of the game for, for the first 25 minute period in the last 20 minutes, um, Orlando had 79.3% possession. Um, so that's between the 70th minute and 75th minute between the 75th minute and the 80th minute, they had 75.8% of the possession. And then between the 80th and 85th, they had 68.8% possession. And between the 85th to the end of the game, they had 72.2, 72 72.2% possession, which for a team that was down a man is a little bit troubling. Um, now the revolution ended up getting that third insurance goal late, but there, there was some times when, um, you know, in addition to that penalty kick that was saved by Matt Turner, certainly that was a huge play for Matt Turner. Um, if there is one worrying thing from the game is that the Revolution were not able to have some semblance of possession late in this game when they were up a man. They could have made their lives a lot easier, um, and especially when you're playing in, in the Orlando Heat. I think it was in the 80s today, or at least close to it, um, which certainly wouldn't be something the Revolution have been used to lately. Um, and I'm sure there were some you know, tired legs. You know, that's when it's really important to maintain some possession and, and, and close out the game that way. And um, that, that is one thing, even with, when Lee Wynn came on, I thought that might help, um, uh, that they weren't able to do. So, um, you know, going into the next round, I think that's something they need to focus on is the ability to, you know, close out a game and, and maintain possession. And it's kind of shocking to me that it was that lopsided, well down a man. I mean, well up a man, I should say against, against Orlando. Yeah, only four or five minute intervals in this game where the Revs had the majority of possession. And as the game went on, it seemed like their tactics were to kind of sit back, to bunker in, kind of pull a Nashville uh, and just let Orlando bring the game to them and try to break them down, especially down a man. But when you're up two to one, it's, it's certainly concerning, especially when you conceded a, a penalty kick too. I think this result could have been a little bit more disastrous and you would have liked to have seen the game put away a little bit sooner. But um yeah, uh, hopefully that does not hurt them later on in the next round. And if they end up playing Nashville, I, I don't think they can really give Nashville possession. It's going to be a game of uh, both teams just kind of waiting for the other team to uh, uh, just kind of, you know, kind of a standoff of, you know, seeing who pushes up the field a little bit more. But uh, I do want to talk about that red card really, really quickly. Um, Sean, any any thoughts on that red card? Uh, I mean, to me, it was a clear red card. I know we're a little bit biased, but even from an unbiased view, uh, I know the Cooligans had a tweet out uh, saying that they're not sure how that could be a red card. Um, I mean, it seemed like a, an extremely blatant red card. Uh, any thoughts on that and how it changed the game? Oh, yeah. I mean, it, it was absolutely a red card. There's there's no question at all um, that that was a red card. And I think the only question is whether that leads to a more lengthy suspension because that's a, that's a leg-breaking tackle right there. And I think they're lucky that it wasn't. Um, and it's kind of shocking from... Orlando City that, you know, they're coming off a game in which, you know, their discipline uh, was a problem. Um, I'm probably botching his name, but Ruan, the, the right back, the super speedy right back that they have, um, who was really asking for a red card in that last game and, and got it, um, showed a complete lack of discipline. So then I, you would have thought that would be a focus of their coaching staff going into this game. Like, hey, guys, we can't afford another red card. We got away with it last week. Probably not going to get away with it again. Um, and there they go and get, you know, what I thought was a, a blatantly obvious red card. And it, you know, it, it didn't change the game in the way that I thought it would have changed the game, which is that, you know, it should have made it more comfortable for the revs to close out the game when they went up a man. And, uh, you know, honestly, I think Orlando didn't get much worse when they went down a man, um, to be honest, but I, you know, it was obviously it's better if you're the revolution to finish out the game up a man. Um, but I don't think the revolution took advantage of it as much as they should have. Um, obviously I think it helped when they scored that late goal on the counterattack. But um, again, I, I don't think the revolution were as comfortable as they should have been closing out this game up a man. Yeah. And I, I talked a little bit last week 
I don't I don't remember if it was on air or off air, but um, Philadelphia seemed to have lost their composure very, very quickly after that second goal last week. And you could just kind of tell a little bit of panic from the Philadelphia Union last week. Orlando multiplied that by, you know, the nth degree this this week. Um, I don't even think they were down a goal, but Nani was all over the referee. Uh, and, and, you know, he, I don't know if he ended up with a yellow card or not. Um, but he certainly deserved a few yellows. He did get a yellow in the 62nd minute. Um, I mean, Orlando's... They had, let's see, they had four uh, yellow cards today um, overall, and one of them was from descent from Nani in the 62nd minute. So it just seemed like it was every single call from the referee, they just completely lost their composure. And that really feeds off on the crowd and the rest of the team. And they just didn't seem like a team that was going to be able to pull it together. And that red card, I mean, in real time, it looked horrific. And on replay, it looked even worse somehow. Um, and when you consider the fact that the person with the ball at the time was Matt Polster, who is not exactly, (laughs) yeah, not exactly Tayon Buchanan. It's not Carly's heel. He's running on a counterattack. He's running into space and he's actually slowing down and turning around looking for a pass. There was no way that, um, the, the player who made the, the tackle, uh, Perea there was going to get the ball from that angle. It was directly into the calf. Um, there was, I, I don't know what, the thought process was, but if this game was three to nothing, I would, I would assume that this play was done to hurt Matt Polster. That's how bad of a tackle it was. And it was two one. So we'll give him a little bit of credit and say it wasn't dirty. It was just insanely stupid. It it was one of the worst tackles I've seen all year. Oh yeah. That's, that's one of the tackles where if it's on a a guy like a Carlos heel, everybody's, you know, screaming bloody murder because you're doing that to a number 10. It's just a, a vicious, terrible tackle that, you know, Maybe it was accidental, but I don't know why you go in with your foot up like that. You know, it's just, there's no excuse for that. Uh, it's it's shocking. And again, for it to happen a week after Orlando got another shocking red card for you know kicking a guy in a area we don't need to discuss. Um, it's it's I just I don't I don't understand it. I don't understand how you could show that lack of discipline, especially you know in a home game where you actually have 6,500 fans behind you. If anything, Orlando should have the you know the best home field advantage in the league right now because of how lax uh, Florida's rules are on letting fans into the stands. Um, so it's just to let your head you know go like that and make it an error like that um, is shocking. And, and you know you, you have to wonder or you have to you know a little bit place some of the blame on the coaching staff if they didn't drive that home after what happened the week before. Uh, a very reckless challenge, and I know it'll be a little bit buried since the Rebs moved on, but it is curious to see if MLS will take any further action uh, against Perea in this uh, game. Um, Sean, uh, well, and actually speaking about someone who, you know, speaking about Nani, uh, he, he also had a major influence in this game in missing uh, the penalty kick save. Um, first, I think you already kind of let off with Polster, um, uh, you know, conceding that penalty and, and you believe it's a foul. So uh, why do you think that was a foul? Uh, why do you think that PK was justified and how satisfying was it to see Matt Turner stop Nani? Yeah. I mean, it, it was a, it was a reckless challenge from Polster. I, I forget who it was. He, he got the ball. He was in front of Matt, Matt stuck a leg in and, and kind of ran through the guy. I don't think there was any question that that was a, a penalty kick. Um, and you know, it wasn't, it wasn't smart. You know, when a guy's back, the guy's back is the goal like that. You have to be careful. There's he's not a threat to shoot immediately. Um, you know, Matt should have just gotten close to him, and, and Matt Poster should have just gotten close to him and, and tried to you know make it difficult for him to find a good pass. But he instead he you know, he went for the ball, lunged, and gave what I thought was a clear penalty. Um, and you know, I, I honestly thought Nani's penalty kick wasn't wasn't that bad. It was it was a decent effort. It was just a fantastic save 
uh, by Matt Turner. Uh, you know, I think he, he said after the game he did his homework, so I think he had an idea of which way uh, Nani usually goes, and he, and he went that way and he got it. But I don't think it was that bad of a penalty other than maybe being predictable. Um, it, was, it was hit decently well, and it was just a, a fantastic save from, from Matt Turner, um, who's you know, clearly been the Revs' MVP this season and was the Revs', the Revs MVP in this game, um, a game in which you know, a, lot of, a lot of talented performances from Gustavo Botejan Buchanan and, and Carlos Hill. I think Matt Turner gets the MVP, um, despite you know, making a bit of a, of a hash of that earlier goal that, that Orlando scored on. Yeah, and boy, while we're talking about team MVP, I do want to talk about Gustavo Bo a little bit. Obviously, he brought them uh, into the uh, round against Philadelphia with that goal against Montreal at the death. A brace today. Seemingly, he, he's on fire right now. Um, talk about what you, you saw from Gustavo Bo today. Although we, we say he's on fire, but then I also don't think he had that great of a game against Philadelphia. Um, but no, Gustavo Bo was, was great today. And, you know, a lot of credit for him being alert on that first goal, or the second goal, I should say, on his first goal, um, and getting that rebound before anyone else did. That's, you know, it's a, it's a hustle play from him, which is not necessarily what you think about. You know, when you think of Gustavo Bo, it was a, it was a poker's goal, and it was a really good one. So, you know, credit to him for that. And then credit to him later for making that great run late in the game. I, I, again, when you go back to the Philadelphia game, um, he looked he looked gassed late, and we saw him get subbed off. Um, in this game, he was making a run in the 86th minute while the team was down a man and you know chasing the ball a lot, um, and you know put away a great finish, made a great run, uh, even better pass from Carlos Hill to set him up, but a you know fantastic finish from Gustavo Bo, um, who you know is really been a key player for the revolution in these playoffs, even though he was a bit quiet comparatively against Philadelphia. Um, you know, that's why he's on the field is he's capable of those great plays. Um, but again, you know, that, that first goal from him wasn't a classic Carl. I mean, Gustavo Bogle, it was more of a poster's goal. And it's, it's good to see that, you know, he has that alertness and he has that hustle in him to, to get to there, to get to that ball first and, and put that away. Yeah, and his his best moments too. He had a couple of long shots. I think one was in the sixty second minute, and one was in the sixty eighth minute. Um, he had some long shots there where he was testing row, uh, and and both of them required a diving save. And you could just kind of see, um, you know, he he was begging for a second goal there, uh, and he ended up getting it with that nice little toe poke. Ironically, it was just kind of the softest shot of the day uh, that ends up uh, getting by Brian Rowe. But uh, on the day, Gustavo had five shots. Four of them were on target. Obviously, two of them were on net. The one that was off target. It was that horrific free kick that uh, he waved off Carly's heel from taking about and that. skied it <laughs> and landed somewhere on Miami. But um, there's two big chances. Both of them uh, were converted. He was 70, 17 for 22 passing. That's 77%, which is pretty good for him, uh, including 10 for 14 in the attacking third. Um, three ball recoveries, only once dispossessed today. And he also had a chance created uh, and a tackle. So overall, a, a pretty solid day at the office for Gustavo Bo. Um, one other person do that we got to mention, uh, who, who is also on fire right now, probably more on fire than Gustavo Bo if we are grading on fireness. Uh, but Carly's heel with his third assist this week, um, also had a penalty kick in this game to start off the game right. He continues to be, uh, basically automatic at the spot. And you found a stat earlier, uh, before the podcast that Carly's heels, three assists in this postseason, uh, tie the record with Lee Wynn, uh, and someone else you can, Jose Cancela from 2003. Jose Cancela from 2003. So uh, he now is tied for the uh, team record for most assists in a single postseason. And he is now tied for fourth um, in in career assists in a postseason, which is pretty impressive considering he came into this week with zero postseason assists. Uh, he is now up to three and is one away from tying the team record of four uh, with three other players. Uh, so Sean Carlos Hill, uh, man of the match. You gave it to Matt Turner, but I assume you'd have to give it to Carlos Hill if not. 
Yeah, I mean, Carly's Heels, if Matt Turner doesn't make that PK save, Carly's Heels made of the match. I think he had a, a fantastic game. Although, again, uh, I, I could almost just as easily give it to Tejan Buchanan. But um, Carly's Heel, you know, really, really good again. And you continue to see how much of a difference he makes for this Revolution team when he's healthy and 100%. He's just, you know, it's a completely different Revolution team with, with Carly's Heel out there playing the way he's been playing during these postseasons. And because of that, I think the sky's the limit for the Revolution. Absolutely great performance day from Carlos Hill. Two attempts on goal, uh, one on target, one off target. Um, obviously, the one shot on target was his uh, penalty kick. But 34 for 41 passing, that is 83%. 12 for 18 in the attacking third. Um, six ball recoveries, was not dispossessed. Uh, two chances created. Um, one interception and one clearance. Also, as I say, helped out Taeyeon Buchanan on that right side a lot. Side a lot. Um, they really tore Nanny apart, uh, sorry, Nani apart um, throughout the game and really took him out altogether. So, um, yeah, just a, a really solid performance from Carly's heel today. Um, one other uh, designated player we should go into, Adam Buxa. Um, what do you think about his performance today? Obviously, a little bit unlucky about hitting the post um, off that, that that led to the first goal from Gustavo Bo. But, uh, you know, he came into this game with four goals in his last eight games. Again, hits the post, uh, does not find the net. But what were your thoughts on his performance? I thought he had a good game. I thought he made a, a nice run um, on that play where he hit the post. And, you know, it was, it was a pretty good attempt at a finish that was just a little bit unlucky. Um, but overall, I thought he had a pretty decent game. He's been looking up with everybody in the attack more. Um, and, you know, it has... His passing numbers continue to be not great. He was at, I believe, fifty-eight point eight percent in this game, uh, which which isn't isn't wonderful. But um, the other areas of his game were, were pretty decent. Um, and you know, the the biggest knock for me on this game was not the smartest play late in that game where he went in and challenged Brian Rowe. Again, it's it's nice to see the hustle from Adam Buxa when you know going after that ball. But um, you know, he he made some contact with Brian Rowe. And was already on a yellow card and could have gotten a second. Um, so that was, you know, probably the boneheaded play of the match that he, I think he was a bit fortunate on. Um, but otherwise, he did, you know, decently well. And he had four ball recoveries. He was dispossessed three times. Just looking through some of his stats here. Um, but, you know, overall, he's fit into this Revolution offense a lot better during the playoffs than we've seen another any other point this season. And, you know, continued to make sure he's he's a must start actually only only uh one aerial duel attempted and he did not win that one which is interesting so um you know slightly quieter game than we've seen in the other postseason games but um continues to play the role to ask for him yeah adam books on the the day uh two attempts at goal one on target one off target uh and i don't think he had many passing stats 10 for 11 passing that is 59 percent. so not a whole lot of stats that ten, really 10 for 17 uh, Sorry, 10 for 17. Four ball recoveries, three dispossessions, um, three for seven in the attacking third. One interception, but as you say, no aerial duels, one, no headers, one. Um, I I think this game is going to be highlighted a lot by that 71st minute foul on Brian Rowe or near foul on Brian Rowe, um, which I'll get to in a second. But I do want to point out that the one shot he did have was in the 38th minute there from outside the box, which forced a jumping save from Brian Rowe. And I, I'm pretty encouraged by that, too, because one of my criticisms of Adam Books is that he does not get enough scoring chances with his feet. He's a little bit too hesitant to to shoot the ball at goal. Uh, and, and that was a play that I really am encouraged to see Adam Books do because he, he can shoot from far distance. Uh, he's got as good of a leg as Gustavo Bo, in my opinion. So if he gets a, a shot, you know, a, a clear path to goal or even a partially obstructed shot to goal, um, I, I think he needs to let loose a little bit more. And, you know, that was a, a nice save by Brian Rowe. Not the hardest save to ever make, but um, 
overall, I, I'm encouraged to see that, and I hope to see. Uh, I hope we see a little bit more of Adam Buxa shooting in the future. Uh, in terms of that foul, too, I think what makes it a little bit more controversial is not necessarily that he he was not given a yellow, uh, but Daryl DK got a yellow for clipping Matt Turner earlier in the game. And so I think if you're an Orlando fan, you do have a little bit of a gripe to say, you know, why is it a foul on Daryl DK and not Adam Buxa? Am I right about that? Yeah, I mean, it's one of those plays where, you know, if he gets a yellow card on it, I don't think he can really complain. Um, I think it would have been a harsh second yellow, but, um, you know, if it's a yellow, it's a yellow. And I think if it was his first yellow, um, I don't think anyone would be questioning it. So, um, you know, with with DK's play, I think that the fact that he slid in uh, made it look worse than what Adam Busa did. Busa stayed in his feet. Um, but at the same time, you know, those are plays that get yellow cards pretty frequently. Um Yes, if he if he was sent off for it, harsh, but um, you know I I don't think he could complain that much. Yeah, and and as you say, if he doesn't have a yellow card and he and that that's given to him, it's kind of like in the NBA when a player gets a second technical. Um, you know, I, I think referees are a lot more lenient at handing out technicals uh, the first time around than they are in the second one. And so I'm curious. It, it is an interesting um, thought process of maybe the cards were kept pocketed just because the referee had the presence of mind to know that he's already on a yellow, uh, but probably shouldn't be refereeing games that way. A yellow should be a yellow. And I, I think we're in agreement that I think Adam Buxa can, you know, a little bit lucky that he didn't get the red card, uh, which would have impacted this game. And obviously it would have impacted the uh, game next week against Nashville or Columbus. So um, overall, I, I think the refs can count their blessings on that one. Uh, Sean, let's hop into some listener questions right now. Revolution Report asks us, who do you blame for the Orlando goal? Well, I, I think the two guys, well, Matt Turner after the game um, essentially blamed himself and, and Henry Kessler and Bruce Arena did the same thing. Um, and, then, you know, watching it again, I, th- I think you, those are the guys that have to get the blame. Um, I don't think Dewan Jones played his man perfectly, but he he threw him off enough. Um, he didn't foul. Uh, his shirt was getting grabbed. You know, you, if you, you know, are a real stickler for the rules, you could argue that, that Dewan Jones was actually fouled on the play. Um, but I thought Dewan Jones played it okay. Um, and he did enough to throw the guy off, and it was a miscommunication between Henry Kessler and Matt Turner, neither of them who looked confident enough going out for that ball. I think you know Kessler got to it, and Matt Turner could have had it. Um, so those are the two guys that I think get the blame. Um, unfortunate that you know I think I think the the shot was probably going to get blocked by Dewan Jones if it hadn't taken a deflection off. I, I forget who else it was that had you know ran in to block it. Um, but you know those are the two guys where the blame falls on. I think Matt Turner. You know, said that after the game, Bruce Arena said that after the game, that there was, you know, that they needed to be better on that. Um, but, yeah, I think I don't know who else you blame it on, but except, you know, Kessler and Turner. Yeah, I think we've seen this a little bit from Dewan Jones before where guys beat uh, beats him and the ball goes over the top and he's able to recover a little bit. Um, I, don't, I don't think it was a full recovery on Dewan Jones, but I don't really blame him for that play. He did enough uh, in, in his spot uh, to dispossess the attacker. Um, I, I think that's fully on Matt Turner. I think Matt Turner is kind of like, you know, in baseball, the center fielder, when the center fielder calls it, he's got full control. Uh, I think the goalie, you know, that's his area. He, he polices that area. Um, Henry Kessler, it looks like, doesn't want to kick Matt Turner, and so he kind of pulls up at the last minute. But, um, yeah, I, I think that's just unfortunate that there's a miscommunication there. I think that falls on Matt Turner. And I think it was an easier play for Matt Turner to cover the ball than it is for Henry Kessler to clear the ball potentially into another body or out for a corner kick or out for a throw-in. So um, I, I think Matt Turner deserves the majority of the blame on that play. Um, although Henry Kessler certainly, you know, pulling up, he made the same mistake as Matt Turner. So I don't think he's completely innocent on this play either way. Well, it's, it's hard to definitively blame one or the other without actually 
hearing what they were saying or if they were saying anything because you know it, it, per- perhaps um something was said and and you know henry kessler ignored it or didn't hear it or something who who knows but um you know blame falls on both of them until until proven otherwise and i think uh, the post game comments from those involved uh seem to be willing to accept the blame between turner and, and kessler as well my guess on what happened as a former goalkeeper at the college intramural level is <laughs> is that Matt Turner didn't expect Henry Kessler to be there. He was focusing on the attacker and did not expect Kessler to be there. And kind of at the last second, you know, in his peripheral, he sees Henry Kessler coming in and he pulls back. Um, and, and Henry Kessler, you know, is going to clear it. And then he sees Turner, you know, go down and pulls up. So my, my guess is that Matt Turner, there was a failure of communication there. And I think that falls a little bit more on Matt Turner. Um, and, and my guess is he just wasn't expecting Henry Kessler to be standing right there to his right. Um, that's my guess. I don't know. Um, but as you say, I think there was a lack of communication there between the two. Um, and, and as you say, it's hard to blame one person specifically, but I think the the blame tends to fall a little bit more on the goalkeeper since he's in charge of communication overall. Fair? Yeah, no, absolutely. Okay, cool. Uh, Mike D asks us, if you are forced to make a change in the 11, what do you do? If it's Nashville, I think we may need to swap Holser or Col- Caldwell for a more attacking-minded midfielder. Uh, Sean? What do you think the changes to the lineup should be going forward? Um, is, this gives a scenario about Nashville. We don't know at the time of recording if it's Nashville or Columbus, but um, changes to the lineup. What do you think? I keep the lineup exactly the same. If you know, if it plays out and Nashville, if they hypothetically if they're playing Nashville and Nashville plays as defensively as Nashville played earlier in the season against the Revolution, um, and you know, as the game goes on, maybe as soon as halftime, you make a change to bring Lee Wynn or Tommy McNamara or, or somebody on for. Pulster or Caldwell, depending on who's playing. But um, I think you'd be crazy to change this lineup right now. And, and, you know, again, I think underrated part of Scott Caldwell's game is how he allows a player like Tejan Buchanan to get forward and, you know, is there to cover for him when those gaps are left. Um, so t- to me, I don't think you change this lineup depending, regardless of who you're playing. And, you know, if the Revolution play Nashville, um, I think the Revolution you know, should go into that game as, as, as favorites, even on the road. Um, and because of that, I think the revolution should be able to play their game. And I think, you know, their game right now at its best, um, involves the lineup that we've seen the past two matches. Yeah. And the one thing I'll say too, about not putting in someone else uh, in the midfield is that Polster and Caldwell both are are very good at coming back, uh, and, and playing defense when, um, the wingbacks are stretched up the field. So, so let's go back to the Scott Caldwell play where that you mentioned earlier, where he, he dispossessed, I think it was DK when he got around Andrew Farrell, Tim Buchanan is pushed up on that play and Farrell kind of swings to, uh, the right DK breaks around him and Caldwell, you know, is coming back and he's kind of, uh, covering that space that is missing. So in theory, I get the thought process here. If you want a more attacking minded midfielder like Kellen Rowe, because you want to play a little bit more offensively against a team like Nashville that is bunkering in. But what I am worried about is that with Taylor Buchanan, who's still playing, who's new as an outside back and Dewan Jones, who is also a converted winger, uh, who's also using his speed to get up the field a little bit. And as I say, he's not, you know, a flawless defender by any means. Um, I, I think you still need that defensive awareness from Polster and Scott Caldwell uh, to be able to move back into those spaces and, and cover uh, when there's a counterattack the other way. Because I think that's the main weakness for the revolution right now. Between that and set pieces, uh, I think this defense can be broken a little bit when they're stretched thin. Um, and that's exactly where Nashville, if they're going to beat you, is going to beat you. So right. <laughs> even even more so if you're if you're playing Nashville. So I get the thought process here from Mike and and 
it's certainly worth a consideration. But in my mind, if I'm approaching this game, I would want my Cullen Rose. Uh, I guess Kellen Rowe is the player that we would be swapped in. I think Tommy McNamara does bring something to the table, um, but I, I guess I, I'd rather have Kellen Rowe come in off the game. Uh, I'd rather have Kellen Rowe kind of play that central midfield in the closing minutes when we're pushing up for a goal uh, and an extra time and Nashville is seemingly bunkering in overall. But um, So I, I, I get the sentiment, but I, I think this team is, is working so well and so cohesively right now. Um, I, I wouldn't really want to change... Um, the spine or the right side. The, the one position I will say that I'm open to changing is if Alexander Budner comes back, you have a real question here because Dewan Jones has played fine. He hasn't made a whole lot of mistakes, but he hasn't made a very good impact. And I think that Alexander Budner's left foot and crossing in some balls might be helpful uh, uh, for the offensive side of the game. If you play someone like Nashville and you're expecting to be on the uh, the right side of the foot. So depending on where Alexander Budner is with his fitness, that might be a change that I could see happening. And I don't think it would change the balance of things too, too much. Um, but outside of that, I, I wouldn't change anything. Yeah. And, and I understand, again, I understand the concern against Nashville because they have been successful at shutting down the revolution's attack, but you have to also look at who was available to the revolution. The last two times they played um, Gustavo bow didn't play when that one, one draw um, in their last match. And, and Carlos heel only played the last 27 minutes. Um, and clearly wasn't a hundred percent. And I think Adam books only played the last 27 minutes too, um, you know, more so for form reasons than injury reasons. Um, but obviously a, a much weaker team when you have a starting lineup that didn't feature any of your designated players and then go back to the zero, zero draw, you know, again, no Carlos heel at all. Um, you know, Adam Buxa played the last 27 minutes, again, form reasons. And, you know, you'd have Gustavo Bo, but clearly a much weaker lineup. Um, so there's reasons for concern. Uh, but Gustavo Bo is the type of player that can unlock a tricky defense like um, Nashville. And it's something that, you know, for all but 27 minutes of their games against Nashville, they were missing. And for, I would argue, the, you know, all of the times against Nashville, they were missing a healthy uh, Carly's heel. So I think there's a lot of reason to think that a full strength revolution lineup would have a better chance of breaking down a Nashville team without uh, trying to sell out and, and sacrifice defense to put more offensive bodies on the field. Now, I could be wrong, and, but, you know, if you end up at 0 0 in the, you know, halftime or to the 60th minute and your offense isn't working, I think that's when you try to kind of throw more options out there and get more offensive rather than, you know, switching up a lineup that's been working to start the game. I, I should say that the question was, if you're forced to make a change, what do you do? Um, and I, I know we're kind of saying no. I, I guess my answer to that is Bootner. W- would you tinker with anything? Maybe Kellen Rowe for, for Teal Bunbury? Teal Bunbury's been a little quiet the past couple of games. Yeah, I, I don't think Teal Bunbury um, had the best game this time. Um, I, you know, there was one play earlier on, I I forget exactly one where he had a a rough touch that that kind of killed a a potential promising attack. Um, but I, I still wouldn't sub him out. I think what he offers defensively is important to the revolution and the, the effort that he puts in over there. Um, you know, long-term maybe that that's a change that you make, but, um, I, I think this is the starting lineup that's worked for the revolution as a starting lineup needs to change. If you're forced to make a change in the game, um, then, you know, maybe you do what Bruce Arena did in this game, which is, you know, get Lee Wynn onto the field, into that central midfield and, and try to give themselves more options offensively. Uh, but I wouldn't start that way. 
Yeah, and, and you're talking about the, the the teal play. You're talking about the 51st minute here. Um, he, he's leading a counterattack that was a little bit too slow. He does a 1-2 with Gustavo Bo, who uh, Bo leads him into the box, and uh, teal was just a little bit too slow getting to the ball, and I, th- I think the goalkeeper collected it, um, which kind of killed the attack. So that, outside of that, I, I don't have anything here in my notes about Teal Bunbury making an impact on the game. So um, very, very quiet today, uh, which is not exactly what you want from your golden boot winner, but... Um, as I say, I, I think the uh, players on the right side of the field has have kind of overtaken them in, in their roles uh, for the playoffs. So uh, we did get a question from John Pilkington. Who do you want to – or actually, no, sorry. Let's go to David B. first. David B. says, who would you rather see us against in the conference finals and in the finals? We were recording this about an hour before kickoff in Columbus, uh, Nashville. So this might uh, hurt us in the long run. Um, but my, my answer is I, I think I'd rather see Columbus because they're pretty severely impacted by COVID players. Um, they're they're going to be a little bit shorthanded. And I, I know it's a bit of a cheap answer, but um, I, I think I'd rather see a weakened Columbus team than Nashville, uh, who whose style of play. Uh, you, you did mention why this matchup against Nashville would be a little bit different. Uh, but I still think Nashville could grind out a one nothing one one result uh, and advance in PKs or something to that effect. Um, that I'm a little bit concerned about. So, Sean, I'll, I'll give it to you. Yeah, I mean, a hundred percent healthy crew. I think if that's if you know if miraculously everybody on the team that has COVID, I think I think the article came out today that said they had seven players that have tested positive for COVID now, and uh, seven players that are unavailable versus Nashville. Uh, hypothetically, if they win that game against Nashville and everyone's available against the Revolution, I do think the Columbus Crew are the better team and would be a tougher match for the Revolution. And I do think that the Revolution at full strength would have a better chance at breaking down Nashville than they did during the regular season. Um, but and, and I think the Revolution would go into a game against Nashville as the favorites, despite the fact that you know Nashville are a higher seed by virtue of goal differential. Um, or goals for whatever whatever tiebreaker it was that they that they ended up passing the revs on, um, but you know, with that said, if Columbus is missing seven guys, and I know a lot of them aren't starters, I think just two of them were starters. Um, you know, it's it's not the way that you want to beat a team, but uh, I, I think the Revolution would rather face them. And, and Eloy Eloy Room is one of the guys that's unavailable. And you know, as we've seen this season, Eloy Room is a game changing goalkeeper. Um, I, I think did he, I believe he might have finished third for goalkeeper of the year voting. Um, and you know, worthy of it. He's been fantastic this year. Uh, you know, just behind Turner and Blake and, and his ability to change a game. So if if he was out for Columbus, um, you know, that seems like a a good matchup for the Revolution to have. But you know, all things being equal, everyone being healthy, um, the Columbus is still a better team than Nashville. And I know we're looking around too far ahead, but is there any team in the West that you'd like to face and, and think the Revs match up well against? Yeah, I mean, I think hypothetically we're getting way ahead of ourselves to to jump towards to towards the MLS Cup, but um, you know, I think Seattle would be a very difficult matchup for the Revolution. Um, you know, there's some other teams out there that. Uh, you know, Minnesota, the fact that they're still in it, I think they're a team that has had a good season, but don't necessarily scare me that much. Uh, FC Dallas, especially, I, I think they're a team that's done better than expected in these postseason. Um, you know, those those are two teams that I see as, as beatable by the revolution. Um, you know, Seattle or Sporting Kansas City, I think, 
going to MLS Cup as as favorites, as clear favorites against the Revolution if, if that uh, that ends up being the matchup. So, um, and you know, just looking at the odds right now, I see um, for those for those two Western Conference semifinals, Seattle's you know decent favorites, FC Dallas plus four hundred, uh, Minnesota plus four twenty five in, in their respective matchups. So, um, you know, I, I don't think I think the odds have that right. And if you were to get to MLS Cup, you know, the Revolution would would much rather see FC Dallas or Minnesota than Seattle or Sporting Kansas City. Yeah, I think you said it pretty well. And I think at this point, even with six teams remaining or however many teams remaining, I guess there's still seven teams uh, as we're speaking. Um, I, I think Seattle and Sporting Kansas City are the two favorites uh, overall. Yes. I mean, if, if you were to make a bet of Sporting Kansas City or Seattle versus the field, um, I mean, I'd be taking Sporting Kansas City or Seattle. So um, those are the two teams that I, I would like to avoid, all things considered. Um I, I think I'd like to face off against Minnesota just so we can get a Kai Kamara uh, revenge game, uh, you know, that get that narrative going a little bit before the week. I don't think there's as good of a narrative with FC Dallas. So uh, we did get a question here kind of along the same lines. John Pilkington, who do you want to see the refs play? Uh, but he also asked us, do you feel Polster makes up for the potential red card slash penalty seemingly every game? Uh, Sean, I'll, I'll go to you uh, and Matt Polster. Well, just just really quickly, the the narrative with FC Dallas is I think it would be like the the Revolution's fourth time they played a championship game at Dallas's stadium between two MLS Cups and a U.S. Open Cup final. So that would be uh, the the one you could reminisce against the Revs' past championship uh, exploits. I think they won the the Open Cup when they won it. I believe that was actually in in Dallas against Dallas. Um, so it could be D- Dallas's revenge game for that. <laughs> a long time coming. Um, with with Matt Polster, you know it's. We've seen this season him get a red card. We've seen this season um, him give up that that penalty kick in this game. Um, you know he he can make mistakes, uh, but overall, I think he's a guy that um, you know has become very reliable for the Revolution in the central midfield and has paired very well with Scott Caldwell. And and talking about you know red cards from Matt Polster, I I, I know I brought it up before and, and said based on what we're seeing with the Revolution, he seems like he's he's red card prone. The red card he got with the Revolution earlier this year is the first ever red card he's gotten in MLS. So wow. I think you know we may have overblown a bit his you know red card tendencies. Um with that said, it was a stupid penalty kick he gave up. Um I think he'll learn from it. Um I think you know he's still you know he has he's I think he's still a little bit rusty from the fact that he wasn't seeing a lot of time over in Scotland. Um, you know, he came back here and he was on and off the field. Uh, but I, I think the positives of his game are still enough to, to keep him playing. Um, and I think he's going to learn from, from giving up that sloppy penalty kick. Yeah. And I think he has a reputation of being an enforcer, but, um, ultimately I, I, am not totally sure he makes a ton of dumb fouls or a ton of a ton of reckless challenges. I think Zahibo kind of had the same reputation. I went and I looked it up and I either had like one red card or no red cards, but we did get a question like that a a while back about how Wilfred Zahibo is a red card risk. Uh, and you go and you look up the stats and you're like, Oh no, I guess he's, he's just physical. Um, so, you know, Matt, Matt Polster is an experienced player. Um, and he certainly had that concussion in the middle of the year that kind of slowed down uh, his time, uh, his, his game minutes. So, yeah, you're right. Maybe there is a little bit of rust that needs to be shaken off. But ultimately, I, I don't think he's turned in a bad performance over the last few games. And in terms of that penalty, you know, he was just beaten to the spot a little bit. Um, I don't want to say it was fluky. It was a it was a foul. Um, but ultimately, you know, I, I don't I don't have a lot of concerns about him being um, a reckless player. 
uh, or, or making a lot of poor challenges. Um, I just think he's a very physical player. And um, as I say, I don't know when the last time he got a card was, but uh, it seems like he's had a few clean performances over the past few weeks. Yeah. And I'm looking at his career stats, not just MLS. And it, it looks like that red card he had with the revolution in the regular season is his only career red card. So for a guy that's been playing professional soccer, as long as he has you know, 27 years old, I don't think it's fair to, and you know, I, I, again, I think I'm at I, I'm at f- part fault for for saying this myself earlier on in the season. I don't think it's fair to, to classify him as a red card waiting to happen when he's you know been playing uh, for as long as he has and he has one career red card. Yeah, just a physical player. So yeah, it's uh, uh, not exactly earning that reputation that uh, we unfairly give him. But um, MJ says amazing playoff ride so far, enjoying every minute of it. The only negatives that uh, the only negatives today were Kessler had a very uneven game uh, and Dewan appeared overmatched at time. Uh, at times. Uh, so Sean, I'll, I'll let you respond to that. Kessler and Dewan. And overall, I, I thought the defense was a little bit shaky, uh, but ultimately they didn't end up paying for it. What are your thoughts? Well, first of all, what was the the worst play of Kessler in this game? Was it when he you know made the mistake in that goal or was it when he blasted a, a ball off of Carlay's heels head? He, he, he says here in parentheses, <laughs> try not to hit heel next time. So oh, I didn't, I didn't even time. know that was part of the question, but that's a, that's a, a great point. Uh, that was pretty bad. Um, I do think he had an uneven game. And I do think that the set piece defending continues to remain a concern. Um, you know, there was that play where that was, I think, slightly offside, but there were several guys open on it. Um, you know, every time the Revolution concede a set piece, you're, you're worried that they're going to give up a goal because their set piece defending just hasn't been good enough at any point this season. Um, and, you know, it, it is something that could come back to haunt them against a Nashville or against a Columbus in the next round. So, um, there's every right to still be worried about the Revolution set piece defending. We haven't seen a clean game from the Revolution defending set pieces in quite some time, um, and this certainly wasn't one. Um, and you know, Kessler is still a rookie for as much credit as we give him, and as good as he's been all season long. Um, you know, it's inevitable that he's going to make some mistakes, and I think he made a couple mistakes in this game. It didn't end up costing the Revolution. You move on, and I think he'll be better for it. Yeah, the set pieces were brutal today, and and our next question was from James Downing. He says, I can't help but notice that multiple Orlando players were open on set pieces similar to the Philly game, uh, but man, oh man, the Turner train. Um, Yeah, I mean, set pieces were were brutal today, and and that lies a lot on Henry Kessler. I mean, Henry Kessler is your... Uh, primary central center defender and, and he's gonna you're gonna rely on him a lot uh for set piece defending and headers um it, it's at the point where i'm really you know holding on for every single set piece and it didn't end up hurting them today um but i think that was more about um it, it speaks more to um orlando's you know missing their chances than the revs defending and i think there was on one free kick you know three or four purple shirts um towering o- over uh revs defenders and i i, I forget who it was um, but someone just headed the ball seemingly straight up, up in the air. I mean, just did not connect with it at all. Um, so yeah, those, those set pieces are really going to end up hurting the Revs, especially if they end up against Nashville. I know Nashville had some pretty, you know, piss poor uh, finishing uh, against Toronto, but uh, they're a team that would, you know, would love to go in and, and force some free kicks. Um, and you can kind of tell Orlando was trying to draw some fouls and trying to uh, bring some corner kicks um, throughout the game and try to create those set pieces. So um, yeah, it, that that's a major, major issue for the Revs. Um, I'll even go far as far as say for our next question, uh, Christian Matthew says, the boys uh, finally get a break and get to practice more. What do you think they should focus on before the Eastern Conference Finals possession stats before the heel PK had me worried? Um, I, I think set pieces have to be the primary focus. It, it's just not acceptable right now. And if we're actually going to be talking about the Revs going to the MLS Cup, 
uh, I mean, that set piece defending needs to improve by a lot. Yeah, I, I think that's absolutely a key focus. Um, but at the same time, I'm sure they've been focusing on it a lot this season, and, and it, <laughs> the improvement that you'd expect to see hasn't been there. So, what's what's another week of practice going to do to fix it? <laughs> well, let me pose that. Let me reword that question. I mean, what do you think the Revs should be focused on? Is there any other aspects of this game that you think over the next seven days the Revs need to work on? I guess it, it depends a bit on who they do end up playing. If it is Nashville, I think they do need to focus more on possession and, and you know how to keep possession, how to use possession, um, and how to break down a, a difficult defense. If it's if it's Columbus, it's, you know I, again, I think possession is important um, that they don't end up in a situation like they did in this game where even up a man they were really seeding possession. Um, you know what's interesting is the revolution when Carlos Hill was out and they kind of worked moved around their lineup and made Lee win a focal point. They actually did a bit better at maintaining possession. Um, I'm, I'm not suggesting that they were better off at that point. They certainly weren't there. You know, creating chances was, was the problem at that point. Um, but yeah, ho- holding on to the ball uh, needs to be a, a focus going on in this next game because you can't chase a game for as long as the revolution did against Orlando consistently. Yeah, uh, I agree with everything you said right there. Uh, so I'll, I'll move on to the next question. And I kind of answered this at the beginning, but Bruce Arena, master class or luck? That question coming from Quite Revs. Um, Sean, are, are we saying Bruce is uh, living up to his legendary status? Uh, or are we saying that he's a bit lucky that this eight seed has kind of pulled it together down the stretch? Uh, both. I think um, he's done a great job, but I do think there's a bit of a luck involved. You know, would we have ever seen this lineup um, if, if Bootner didn't get COVID? Uh, if Brandon Bay didn't get hurt, you know, would we have seen, you know, the, the a huge reason the Revolution have done as well as they've done is Tejan Buchanan's contributions at right back. Um, we saw what Bruce Arena tried to do in the final regular season game to fit all these pieces together, and it was kind of a disaster. Um, so his hand was was forced a bit. Um, with some of the injuries at fullback. So I think there was some luck involved, but he's also you know put everything together in a way that finally works. It just took all season to figure it out. I'll give Bruce a little bit of credit too, because I, I don't remember who said it, but I think earlier in the season, there was reports of Teon practicing at right back a little bit. So I don't, I, I you know, I, I agree with your overall point here, which is that Teon might not have even played right back if Brandon Bay doesn't pull his hamstring. Um, but I, I do think this might have been a contingency plan somewhere along the line. So I don't want to say it's 100% luck. Um, well, I think I think his contingency plan was what we were seeing towards the end of the season, where he you know he benched a, a seemingly healthy Brandon Bay for Dewan Jones to play right back and offer more offensively. I think that was yes. what he was trying to, to get at. I think he was trying to get Dewan Jones to be what Tejan Buchanan has been these past couple games. And um, Tejan Buchanan has obviously done that at a, a very different level than what Dewan Jones was, was showing himself to be capable of offensively. Yeah, I, I think that the Alexander Butner, um, unfortunately, getting uh, COVID is um, a, a bigger question because you're, you're right. Those lineups that we saw kind of towards the end of the, the season, we saw Dewan Jones at the right side. And I, I thought he played fine, but certainly not the impact that Tayon Buchanan is having. So you're, you're right about that too. And as I say, I, I think the answer here is both. I certainly think Bruce has got this team going in the right direction. And, you know, one thing you can say is some, some coaches might not play as aggressively, um, as the revs are i mean they went into philly and they didn't back down they didn't bunker down they're not playing a nashville style of defense uh they're they're not trying to grind out one nothing results they're trying to go out and score and score early um and i think that 
you know, Bruce's philosophy is to, you know, what is it? Win the first tackle, take the first shot and score the first goal or something like that. Win the first tackle, make the first foul and score the first goal or something like that. Um, I, I mean, what we've seen here where Bruce is, you know, the Revs are coming up with two nothing leads early in the game. I mean, that matches with Bruce's philosophy a little bit. So I, I think we have to give him a little bit of credit um, in the direction that this team is going. Um, but with that being said, you know, am I giving Bruce Arena 100% credit uh, for a team that kind of limped into the playoffs as the eight seed? No, I'm not giving him a ton, ton of credit. You know, this team still needed a, a last minute goal to get by a, a very, you know, not great Montreal team. Um, I mean, two weeks ago, I, I think we're having a much different conversation about Bruce Arena. So, um, yeah, a, a little bit of both. I, I certainly think he deserves credit, but uh, maybe not a ton. So, well, the, the the real test of his of his coaching and you know, tactical masterclass would have been him figuring out how to make the offense work without Carly's heel. And I, you know, I, I think he didn't do a, a fantastic job of that. Um, but no, he deserves a lot of credit for the run right now. Absolutely. Um, but there were also times this season where he couldn't find a way to make the team work and like, you know, missing guys like Carly's heel is a big part of that. Um, but no, they, they, like you mentioned, they kind of limped into the playoffs. So um, he's lucky that everyone came together healthy at just the right time for the most part. Um, but he does deserve a lot of credit for putting them out in the field in, in a way that works and for attacking, like you said. And uh, John Champion brought up the stat early in the game that Bruce Arena's team have scored the opening goal in 32 playoff games and never lost in those 32 games. So a, key, a, a, a fast start is huge. And now after this game, it's 33 games that they've scored first and never lost in. So um, you know, Bruce Arena knows how to win playoff games. And you, you mentioned that they got healthy. I think the way Carl, uh, sorry, Bruce Arena managed Carly's heel injury and, and Gustavo Bo's injury towards the end of the season were key. I mean, these guys are 90 minutes fit for the playoffs. And so you, you have to give credit to him that they didn't risk any further injury, that everything, you know, we, we talked about how it's a bit lucky that they came, they got healthy. It, it is certainly a little bit lucky that Carly's heel made himself available. Um, but, you know, some people thought that Carly's heel should not come back this season. Uh, there were some people that thought Gustavo Bo should be uh, benched and, and hold him over for, for 2021. This is an eight seed. Um, you know, what's the point of even going through with this? And, you know, Heel's fitness and Gustavo Bo's fitness has not come up once throughout this playoff run. Uh, they're, they're out there for every single minute. There is no question that these guys are, are healthy uh, and they're ready to go. And I, I think Bruce in-game tactics, you know, it's certainly nervous to see you guys, you know, the team pulling back and, and giving the other team possession and, and parking the bus. But it's worked out very, very well against Orlando City uh, and Philadelphia so far. So I, I can't criticize Bruce too much. Uh, I think he's done a great job, you know, with man management. Uh, and he's he seemed to have be calling the right shots a little bit. So there's a little bit of luck involved, but overall, he's done a good job. We did get a question about our the former Revolution coach, James Downing, says, did you guys notice Turner gave a shout out to Brad Friedel postgame? Friedel told Turner that great keepers are the ones who can recover after a mistake. Uh, so Sean, did you know, I, I think you noticed that Brad Friedel, uh, remark. What'd you think of it? I did. Yeah. It stood out to me too. And it, I think it just shows Matt Turner's class. Um, you could be in his situation. Um, a couple of things about Brad Friedel. Brad Friedel gave Matt Turner his first start. Um, and he gave him a lot of chances to start in MLS. He also benched Matt Turner and put him, you know, third in the depth chart after a difficult preseason and a difficult run. Um, so he could hold that against him, but, um, it's, it's nice to see him give a shout out to Brad Friedel. Uh, there were a lot of faults of Brad Friedel as a coach. We've talked about it extensively. I won't do that here. Um, you, you know, you know, my feelings about Brad Friedel as a coach, uh, but 
you know, he was a U.S. men's national team legend as a goalkeeper. And there's no doubt in my mind that working with Brad Friedel um, was a benefit to Matt Turner. So, you know, even if it wasn't a benefit to anybody else on the team, to have a guy with his experience um, at, in goal as a coach is, is got to help a guy like Matt Turner. So it was nice to see Matt Turner give him a shout out in the post game, um, you know, with that quote about you know, re- recovering from a mistake. Um, it's just a, a, a classy move for Matt Turner, I thought. Yeah, and there's no doubt in, in you know that Brad Friedel will be an amazing goalkeeper coach. You know, I, I'm sure Matt Turner has learned a lot from Brad Friedel, and I, I think we got to give Brad Friedel a lot of credit that Matt Turner did grow under him uh, and did get his chances under him uh, in the, the 28 season, 2019 season. I, I still think it was ridiculous that Matt Turner was buried uh, in third in the depth chart, but you know, I, I'm sure he, Brad Friedel had a major influence on Matt Turner, who is winning games for the Revs and for Bruce Arena. So I, I do think Bruce Arena, or, or I'm sorry, I do think Brad Friedel um, does get a lot of credit, and it, it's good to see that. Um, he did have a positive impact on Matt Turner. And I, I, as you say, I think it is classy of Matt Turner to acknowledge uh, Brad Friedel's impact uh, publicly. So, yeah, uh, agree with you all the way around. Uh, did get a quite, one more question here from Revolution Report. Thoughts on the refereeing? I thought all the big decisions were correct. Only one uh, with Orlando having a case about Buxa's foul on row, which we kind of talked about. I think we said Buxa um, did get a little bit lucky there. Uh, what, are you, what were your thoughts on the refereeing? Um, any gripes or any complaints with them i know we talked about the red card a little bit but overall what were your thoughts no i mean i I thought it was a a tightly called game and i thought it was a you know overall a well-called game my biggest complaint you know yes there there was a potential for adam buxi to red card we talked about that um and if you're an orlando fan i think you're probably still going to be talking about that um you know (laughs) the the biggest thing i've noticed the past two games and we talked about it on the last show as well is um the level of dissent we've seen from players when fouls are called against them from both Philly and Orlando uh, was huge. And I'm not sure that either referee did enough to kind of get control of, of that early on. Um, maybe an early yellow card for dissent changes things. You know, Nani got a, a yellow card for, I think, touching the referee and dissent at one point, but maybe an earlier yellow card for, hey, get out of my face and stop yelling at me uh, might have been warranted and, and might have helped put a, put a stop to that because I did think that was kind of ridiculous. Yeah, and I want to pull up a quote here in the post-game conference because uh, there was something Bruce Arena said that was kind of crazy. Um, but he was asked uh, about keeping, uh, you know, their composure um, and, and saying, you know, it seemed like Orlando was very emotional and, and didn't seem to, you know, be calm. Um, and here's what Arena says. Uh, he says, we were told in one game, believe it or not, the reason a call didn't go our way is because our players didn't charge the referee and express that, which I thought was really odd. Um and that quote really stuck with me because, I, I mean, I wonder if the reason we're seeing a lot more of these reactions is it does have an impact on refereeing in the game. Uh, and, and Bruce seemed to have confirmed that today. So, I, I, I mean, if it works, I understand why teams are like that. But to me, yeah, you're, you're right. It seems like the referee has lost complete control of the game. On, on the flip side, it's it's funny hearing that from Bruce Arena because not so much in the playoffs when they've been winning, but during the regular season at times, I don't think there's been many coaches that have yelled and screamed at the referees as much as he has, at least not based on uh, what we're hearing on the sideline mics. Yeah, I, I, I mean, maybe that's why he does it a little bit more. You know, it's it's kind of crazy. I did miss Bruce the players, on, I guess. Yeah, I did miss Bruce on the sideline mic today. I, I was really annoyed that there was a crowd in Orlando. Hopefully, um, wh- whoever we play next, let me think, Ohio and Tennessee. I think Tennessee allows crowds. I'm not sure about Ohio, uh, but hopefully we get some more uh, Bruce yelling at, uh, at the referees again. Um, and to, hopefully he loses his composure while the team doesn't. Uh, but yeah, hey, not, whatever, not, whatever. Not a lot of social distancing in that Orlando crowd. <laughs> 
No, not at all. Not at all. Jonathan Tenenwald of the Philadelphia Inquirer was not happy uh, with the supporters section in Orlando. Boy, it's... it was not a good look for Florida, but I, you know, what do you expect from Florida? It's Florida. I don't think there's any restrictions on Florida right now, so I, I can't say I'm too surprised. Hopefully, the Rebs uh, come back uh, disease-free. So, um, I, actually, we don't have any more questions, but I do have uh, one thing I, I want to add to. Two names missing from this lineup. We did see Brandon by return uh, to the 18, but no Diego Fagundes, no Antonio De La Mea, no Seth Sinovic, um, and it looks like the Rebs left a spot on the bench open. Uh, for these guys, you know, they, they seem to go in with a short bench by one spot. Um, Sean, Diego Fagundes, we've talked about in the last few podcasts, seemingly is done with the revolution. I, who knows if he's even practicing anymore. He's been um, on Twitch a lot lately. Uh, so it seems like he has a lot more downtime and he's going to be leaving as a free agent at the end of the year. Dale and Sesanovic uh, are new to us uh, in terms of not being on the bench. We've kind of been poking jabs at Sesanovic and how far down on the depth chart he is. Uh, seemingly he's below nobody now, just a vacant spot. Uh, and Antonio De La Mea was passed over for Mancien in the Philly game as Mancien came in the final minutes uh, as that kind of fifth, or, or sorry, third center back, fifth defense. Uh, now he's not even an option now, uh, so it seems like he's the fourth center back, and again, also not an option. Uh, what, what are your thoughts on these two guys being dropped, and do you have any theories to why? I mean, my best realistic guess is that they traveled with 20 players, and one of those players was De La Maya or Sestinovic. I could make cases for either of them, um, and that somebody got hurt in this morning or during warm-ups or something, and that's why they were short man on the bench. Um, I, I can't imagine why they would have traveled with less than 20. Um you know, I would also thought you might have traveled with more than 20. So you'd you know have some flexibility if somebody did get hurt. Um, I, you know, I don't know the reasoning behind that. But um, my assumption is that that's probably what happened. But, you know, in the era of COVID, you can't, you can't help but have, you know, a thought in your head that you know, there's already one player on the team that got it. Is there any chance somebody else got it, you know, going into this week, and we didn't hear about it? I don't think that's the case. I think, you know, real the most likely option is the most realistic one, which is, um, the most, yeah, the, the most obvious option is probably what happened, which is that they traveled with 20 and somebody got hurt in pregame or, you know, this morning or even last night. And that's why they weren't out there today. But, um, you know, I, I don't think the team said anything, so you can't help but speculate. Yeah. And, uh, you know, they, they I know the team does not announce who has COVID, but normally when there is a positive test, they announce it. There was nothing like that today. So I, I assume it is something like they they told them, you know, there's really no chance you're going to come into this game. You might as well not even travel, um, you know, just limit the, the people that are going in to travel. That is my guess. Um, my I, I other can't guess imagine they'd that, limit it to 19, though. I think they'd, I could see them limiting it to 20 and saying, hey, you know, Seth Sinovic, you're number 21. We're, we're going to leave you at home and to keep you healthy. But yeah, and they both made the trip down to Philadelphia. Now, that was by bus. I'm, you know, I'm sure they're on a plane for this one. I, I can't imagine they drove down 20 hours. Um, but the other theory I have is that, um, you know, roster decisions are coming soon. Um, and based on the schedule that we were given by MLS communications, um, from this point forward, when a team is knocked out of the playoffs, they have one day to report roster decisions to, uh, the MLS office. So basically these decisions have already been made. I, I wonder if somehow De La Maya or Sinovic have been told that they are not going to have their options renewed or their contract is up and essentially just told to go home. Um, I doubt that. Um, I don't expect either one to come back in 2021, but I, I don't see why the revs would drop players at this stage in the playoffs. But that is also a theory of mine, uh, that the revs have made their contract decisions. Um, and De La Mea and Zinovic have, um, essentially just been dropped from the team altogether 
similar to Diego Fagundes. Um, that would surprise me, but I, I, you know, anything's possible and, and <laughs> until they clear up the speculation. Um, Cause I would also assume Michael Mancian is probably on the list of guys that aren't coming back next year, uh, regardless of the fact that he's, he's on that, on the, on that lineup card. Um, and, you know, as far as we're aware with, with Fagundes, we know the things that his dad's his dad has been saying, and and you know you can understand why there might be a distraction there, and and you know lots of different things go into that, and why he might not be traveling with the team. But I, we haven't heard anything like that from from De La May or Sinovic. Yeah, and my, my guess with De La May is just that he's the fourth center back behind Mantien. Um, Sinovic, you know, as we've known, just isn't going to get into a game <laughs> no matter what it seems like. <laughs> Poor Seth. Um, but yeah, I. I I'm not buying into that theory. I'm just throwing it, you know, brainstorming. I, I really have no idea why they'd burn a spot uh, for no reason, especially when you're still a little bit thin at fullback. I know Brandon Mai came in and played 30 minutes, but he's coming off a hamstring injury. Um, I, I don't know. I, I think more bodies is better. But well, and, and, and hypothetically, let's, you know, worst case scenario, Farrell and Kessler get injured in the game. <laughs> you, you want De La Maya to be available. Yeah, M- Mancian seems to be someone who can maybe see a game off and kind of win balls in the air. Um but he doesn't seem, you know, if there's, yeah, if Kessler gets hurt in the 10th minute, I'd much rather see De La Maya than Mancien. Maybe that's changed uh, for Bruce. Maybe Bruce has Mancien over De La Maya regardless. But um, to me, I, I think De La Maya, that's a pretty big surprise because I, I do think he has a role on this team. Um, and you would need him in case of injury. So I don't know. I'm confused at that one. But uh, we do have one uh, offseason rumor. Uh, the rumor mill's already started. Season hasn't even ended. This is a, a bit of a delight for Revs fans that, you know, nor- normally we have to wait a few weeks into the offseason before we get our first big juicy rumor. But uh, the Montreal Impact announced their um, roster decisions after being eliminated last week. Boyan uh, was one of the players whose contract uh, uh, options was declined. Um, and shortly thereafter, uh, I think it was Sport, I don't know, The Sport or something like that uh, from France, uh, was, had a report out that number a number of teams have made contract uh, offers to Boyan already, uh, and one of them being from France. Uh, apparently, Montreal is renegotiating, and the New England Revolution have made a contract offer uh, to Boyan, according to this source. Um, Sean, do you believe this? And if so, where does Boyan fit? Um, I don't know if I believe it. It's uh, it's interesting if I I believe it more if there's an inclination or a, a strong thought that. Either Gustavo Bo or, or Carles Hill is not going to be back next season. And I think it makes a lot more sense to go after Bojan if, if one of those two guys isn't going to be back next season. I think Bojan is a downgrade from either of them. Um, I did not realize until this week that Bojan is not a DP for Montreal. He's a, a TAM signing. Um, so hypothetically, the Revolution could potentially find a way to sign him um, and keep Gustavo Bo, Carles Hill, and Adam Buxa. Um, you know... I have a few thoughts on this. I think Bojan has been a bit underwhelming in MLS. I think most people would agree to that. He's had his moments of magic, but overall, I think he's been a bit underwhelming. Uh, I think the revolution dodged a bullet by not getting him and ending up with, you know, Carlos Hill and Gustavo Bo as their two DPs at that time. Instead, I think those two work a lot better together and are both more talented than Bojan has been recently. Um, With that said, if you were to add him to the Revs' current core of DPs, and you know maybe replace Bunbury with him. Um, I actually think you're losing a lot defensively, but the offense might be so good that you could get away with it. Um, but 
if the Revolution are going to spend a lot of money on another international player, I, I still think the place that can help them the most is the number six spot um, and finding somebody to play, you know, next to Polster or next to Caldwell. That's a, an upgrade from the other one, um, in, or at least a rotational piece. And I, I think that that's the one spot where putting an upgrade would have the most impact on the Revolution's futures. Um, and you know, again, Bojan's a good player, but he's he's proven he's not a guy that's going to dominate MLS the way some people thought he would when, you know, there was initial talk about him coming to the revolution. Um, so if you're giving him TAM money, I, I can see it. Um, if somehow he thinks he needs more money than he's getting this year, despite the fact that he's underwhelmed a bit um, and wants to be DP, I think that's crazy. Um, but this makes a lot more sense to me if one of the Revs DPs is moving on, um, you know, allocating those resources to Bojan, uh, to you know solidify that attack than it does necessarily if you know the revolution are able to keep all three other dps i will i have no knowledge if this is true everything that i know about this situation this this is the agent pumping up uh Bojan's value it seems like he's negotiating a contract with with the impact and he's going to be going back there and they wanted to throw in an eastern conference team uh to to essentially drive up the price and the revolution have expressed interest in Bojan under Brad Friedel. So I think they were the easiest uh, one to kind of throw out there. there. There's a few problems with this. First off, Bojan has to go through the re-entry draft. So I'm not sure why the Revs would offer a contract to someone that they're not guaranteed to get. So first off, right off the bat there, really weird. Maybe they've reached out and expressed interest, but I can't imagine Bruce Arena is taking time out of, you know, practices and, and, and you know, training for Orlando City uh, to get on the phone with Bojan's agent uh, and, and make a you know soft offer. If they end up getting him, they, they get, you know, they're giving Bojan X number of dollars. I'm not so sure about that. Second of all, Bojan made $1.2 million in salary, $1.5 million in total compensation. He's not even remotely close to worth that. Uh, seven goals in 21 games started, 25 appearances. He has seven goals and two assists in uh, 1,767 minutes uh, through his year and a half with Montreal. I'm not sure where he fits on the team. I, I think you're right. If the Revs are going after Bojan, even though he's not a designated player type signing, this to me says that they are expecting to lose um, Gustavo Bo or maybe Adam Buxa in the offseason. I, I can't imagine, you know, as I say, I, I think we've talked about Carlos Hill and his contracts up. Um, I mean, I, I do think that if he has any interest in coming back to New England, New England will throw whatever money that they want at him. Um, but I would be very shocked if they are, if the Revs are going to be spending a million dollars on a player like Bojan. Because as you say, I, I, I don't think that re- replacing Teal Bunbury with him is an upgrade at all. Um, especially since you just re-signed Teal Bunbury to an extension. So I'm very confused why this is a thing. I, I think this is a name that people recognize and are excited about, but I don't want a 30-year-old Bojan on this team, uh, You know, as I say, unless maybe Gustavo Bo leaves. But I, I don't foresee that happening, and I'm not predicting that to happen, but um, this rumor makes no sense to me. Well, hypothetically, if, if Carles, the, the most like-for-like replacement he'd be is for Carles Heel, and if Carles Heel leaves and the replacement is, is Bojan, that is a massive downgrade. And if if we're talking offered a contract, if the Rebs are getting ahead of the curb and are offering a contract to Bojan, um, I mean, that to me would sound like Carlos Hill is gone Yeah. in that scenario. Yeah. I mean, which so I, I hope this is wrong, um, but I, I think if anything, this is they've reached out and expressed interest, if anything. Um, but over – I don't think this is true. I, I just don't think this is true. So I, I can't say for certain that it's not true. It might be possible, but I have very serious doubts um, that that this rumor 
in particular is true. So, um, Sean, any closing thoughts? Do you want to talk about Tottenham? No, but uh, I'm I'm happy to, that they finished another weekend in first place. So no complaints on that side. <laughs> any other thoughts before we wrap up here tonight? Uh, no, just a, a fascinating to see the revolution making it all the way to the Eastern Conference final. And I'm looking forward to next weekend. Yeah, it, it'll be a good game no matter who they uh, play against. And we have about 40 minutes before that game starts. So I, I now have to watch this uh, and, and, you know, get ready for uh, another you know, tense week uh, of action. Thank God uh, Gustavo Bo put in that third goal because it was uh, it was very, very tense until he scored that. So, uh, Sean, where can people find you on Twitter? You can find me at Sean L. Donahue. And you can follow us at Revolution Recap on Twitter. And please also like our Revolution Recap Facebook page. You can send us an email at Revolution or sorry, Revolution Recap at gmail.com with your questions and comments. Uh, and also, if you have not already, please rate and review our podcast on iTunes or wherever you're listening. Uh, Eastern Conference final next Sunday. We'll be back next weekend to break it all down. Until then, thank you everyone for listening and go Rebs.